0: This week, we have arrived at the very heart of Matthew. In fact, some scholars argue that Matthew has put this chapter in the center of his story about Jesus on purpose to highlight what this chapter, chapter 13, is saying. See, in ancient Israel, if you were telling a story, you didn't highlight something by putting it at the beginning or at the end, as we might today for emphasis. You highlighted something by putting it at the very heart, the very center. And that's where we find the collection of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. These little stories, vignettes, analogies, allegories, tales, pictures, they're meant to bring to life what it is Jesus is announcing. What is this kingdom all about anyway? These were probably told in different times and different settings originally. They were probably told over and over again over the course of his ministry, but Matthew has collected them all thematically together at the center of his gospel because they are the heart of Jesus's message. Sometimes when it comes to reading the Bible, the sheer familiarity of the stories can actually get in the way of us hearing them for what they are. If you've been with us for any length of time, you've certainly heard me make a similar point before, but that's because it's true. Our world, our culture has been shaped by these stories that we have in the Bible, and that includes the parables Jesus tells. We're used to hearing them. They have a familiarity, and we kind of know what to expect with them. When the prodigal son returns, his dad is going to come running. When the sheep gets lost, the shepherd is going to find it. When the seed gets scattered, only some of it is going to sprout. But Jesus's world hadn't been shaped by these stories. Jesus's world had been shaped by other stories. And often the stories Jesus tells, his parables, are subversive retellings of those stories. They are meant to upend the expectations of his hearers who, unlike us, didn't know what to expect. The story we're looking at today is a great example of this. There were plenty of stories floating around about God being a farmer who is going to sow seed in the earth. Those stories were about Israel returning to the promised land after exile, being planted in the land again, and then flourishing there as God had always promised. God is the sower. Israel is the seed. The soil is the promised land. The result is the flourishing of God's people. That's the story. But that isn't the story Jesus tells. So, as I read this parable from the first verses of chapter 13 in Matthew, try to imagine that the story you're expecting is about God the farmer sowing your people and producing a magnificent harvest. What would stand out to you if you were listening from that preconceived expectation? That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grains, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. This isn't the story you would have been expecting. This is like one of those modern fairy tales where we expect a damsel in distress waiting for her prince to come, but actually the bumbling prince ends up needing to be saved by the strong, independent woman. It's sort of like that. Jesus is upending expectations. God is sowing But most of the crop, for one reason or another, withers and dies. Sure, some of it flourishes, but that's kind of a big difference from what you were expecting to hear if you were in the crowd that day. And Jesus acknowledges as much by ending his parable, let anyone with ears listen. He's challenging the people to think, to ponder, to wonder why this story is different and what that difference means. God has begun sowing, Jesus is saying. The kingdom is here but it's not all flourishing. And actually, when you think about it in that light, it sounds an awful lot like the story of Jeremiah and what Jeremiah was telling, doesn't it? After the judgment, when Babylon destroys Jerusalem and takes God's people off into exile, there will be a return, but it will be a remnant that comes back. Just a small group out of all the people will be planted again. Jesus is telling that story. If the crowd has ears to hear, they might pick up the echoes, But just like it didn't sound quite right to the people in Jeremiah's day, the people in Jesus' day don't really know what to make of it either. God is sowing. A flourishing crop will come, but not for everyone. Just for a remnant. Those who are the good soil. This is what Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples when they come to ask him what on earth he is talking about, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30. Jesus's call to those with ears to hear is be the remnant, be the good soil that flourishes when the word of God's kingdom is planted in you, because not all who think they are a part of the kingdom Will end up experiencing its life. For one reason or another, they may find that life never comes because they weren't on the road to life in the first place. Jesus' call to us today is the same. There are people who look but don't really see, people who sit in church week after week and hear but don't understand. We see the same dynamic that Jesus is telling this story about playing out in the church today. People hear the news about the kingdom of God, the invitation to join in what God is doing, bringing God's goodness and justice and life to the whole world, and living as a part of that. And some people don't understand a word of it. This isn't the news they were looking for, and they walk away without any growth springing up at all. Then there are those who hear the news of the kingdom as a message of personal growth and comfort. Your marriage will get better. You'll feel good about yourself. Your kids will be better behaved, and your teeth will be whiter. And they say, sign me up. They receive the news with joy. This is fantastic. But then things get a little harder. Their kids still seem to have problems. And this better marriage isn't as easy as advertised. Those close friendships that they were told would come out of that four-week Bible study don't ever materialize. They lose their jobs. Or they lose a close family member, even though they prayed that that wouldn't happen. And they wither away. Because this Jesus thing isn't paying off the way it was supposed to my life isn't easier, isn't happier. I'm still in pain. Forget this. There are those who keep showing up at church, keep doing all the things that they are asked to do. They read their Bibles, they pray, they serve in the children's ministry, they give to the building campaigns. But when you really drill down, they've organized their lives around the pursuit of money or power. Their trust is ultimately in one of the many idols out there that lure us in and promise security and the good life And so despite looking like a healthy plant, the fruit of the spirit, the life that comes from living as a part of God's kingdom, it never really materializes. But then there are those who hear the word of the kingdom of God, the invitation to join God and what God is doing, and they do understand it. They don't hear it as a means to an end, a way to live an idealized life free of pain. They don't say, sure, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm really going to rely on my bank account or some other idol to keep me safe. They want Jesus's kingdom as an end in itself. They want Jesus, not the benefits that may come from Jesus. And in Jesus, they find life. When we think about it in this life, I think it begins to make sense of what Jesus says in between the parable itself and its explanation. Starting in verse 10, Jesus says this, then the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Truly. I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it at first blush. This seems kind of mean, on God's part. But what's actually going on here is the thing we've seen over and over again. When you walk down a path, it leads where it leads. When you are actually looking for personal ease and living your best life, you're going to hear the gospel in a certain way that meshes with that. You aren't going to actually understand what you hear because your ears have been misshapen in some way. You could go through every culture that has heard the gospel in the past 2,000 years and point out ways that their preconceived ideas have twisted the way they hear the message of God and God's kingdom. It's called syncretism, forcing the message to fit into the acceptable containers that you have in your cultural context. We saw this in the group storming the U.S. Capitol after kneeling down to pray before a cross on an American flag. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not how the kingdom comes but there have been groups trying to violently bring the kingdom of God into being for thousands of years. When what you really care about is money or comfort or power, then the gospel becomes a means to achieve those goals. In other words, you look, but don't see. You listen, but don't understand. But the kingdom of God is not a means to an end. It is an end in itself. And only when we realize that, only when it is God that we want and God's kingdom that we hope for, not the benefits of God, only then will we find the life that Jesus offers. I came across an interesting quote from the Mennonite ethicist John Howard Yoder when I was reading Stanley Hauerwas' commentary on Matthew that I think gets this idea really nicely. And I'm going to kind of condense it for us here. But basically he says that, yes, the gospel is going to give us some moral foundation and hope for the future and help with anxiety and guilt and loneliness, but that none of these things are the gospel. None of them are the kingdom. They are benefits of the kingdom, not the kingdom itself. They are the bonus, Yoder says, the wrapping paper thrown in when you buy the meat, the everything that will be added if we seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. God invites sacrifice, foolishness. As we saw in Matthew 12 and Matthew 10, sometimes being ostracized by family or friends, Jesus offers loss of life, maybe loss of money, certainly things that many simply won't understand no matter how much they look or listen. But if we trust that the path Jesus offers is truly the path to life, if we walk on it, we'll find the abundance of a harvest 30, 60, a hundredfold, not because we are looking for that reward. But because when God is what we truly want and the path to God is the one we put our feet on to follow, well, that's where we end up living. We walk the path and the road leads to a place that is fully characterized by God's goodness and justice. The place where life is truly to be found. So which soil are we? Which soil do we want to be? Do we want the kingdom or do we want the benefits of it? And maybe this isn't a one-time decision, but rather a process by which we can cultivate the soil in our hearts so that we might hear and understand the message that Jesus is bringing in the parables.